Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Ladies and gentlemen, back to the Football Insomniac Podcast. I am your host, Colin Watt. And today I'm delighted to be joined from someone on the other side of the world. Um, You might not recognise it from his accent when he starts speaking, but Dave Claxon, very welcome. uh, Sorry, very welcome. A a warm welcome to the Football Insomniac Podcast. How are you doing, buddy? Thanks, Mel, Colin. How are you doing? Uh, All good here. It's uh, 6 a.m. Boston time, but listen, you you do it for the love of the game. That's it. (laughs) It's literally what's kept you up at night, um, is the insomniac. Sure. And as, as I said, you'll not be able to tell from his accent, Dave is an Irishman staying in um, America. 
so we appreciate him coming on very early today. Um, if you haven't heard of Dave before, you may have heard of his website, Business of Sport. It's a blog about, um, basically does what it says in the tin, the business of sport. Um, and we'll be speaking about that later on in the show. If you do have any questions uh, to Dave about anything to do with shirt sponsorships, with commercial partnerships, get in touch and we'll see what he has to say about them. Uh, but first of all, we are going to discuss the January transfer window. It is only just closed. We're going to take a look at who were the big winners, the big losers, um, some of the big moves, although it's been a very quiet window. Um, I see today that down south it's been confirmed that they spent about £70 million, which is the same price as what Liverpool paid for Virgil van Dijk. So it does show the effect that COVID is having on this transfer window. We'll take a look at it in Scotland, see what it means for the teams in Scotland, who's brought who in, who's moved out. And uh, we can't go anywhere without discussing the Olivier and Cham loan deal to Marseille. Um, not only was it a good move, I think, for him and for Celtic, but it got Andre Villas-Boas the sack. Uh, what was your reaction to that, Dave, when that news came through that he was going to resign from his job? I mean, even when uh, Celtic aren't really involved, we're still involved by causing a disaster. But uh, <laughs> to be honest, uh, I think he, he had only won one game in nine. So he was probably heading towards the trap door, um, to be honest. Uh, it's probably one of the first cases I've seen where a player has been brought in and the manager is pretty much gone inside a day or two. It's, it's just a crazy, crazy situation. And, I mean, if you look at the, the Marseille situation, the fans storming the, the training ground, you talk about Celtic being a crisis club, I think they're probably even in a bigger crisis than we are, which uh, is, is saying something. Yeah, and as you can tell from that, Dave is a Celtic fan as well. Following Celtic from abroad is maybe one of the best ideas this season, um, not being so close <laughs> to the action. But if you are watching us on Facebook, YouTube and Periscope, do get involved, get your questions in. Tell us who you think had the strongest signing in the January transfer window. Uh, we're going to be discussing some of the big deals, although it's not really big names down south. The biggest deal being side Ben Rama's move from Brentford to West Ham for £25 million. I think one of the most intriguing parts about that transfer was it allowed West Ham to then bring in someone else on loan because it was a loan with a view to buy at the end of the season. So they kind of advanced that forward and brought in Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard's an interesting name um, because only a couple of years ago, the guy had the world at his feet, but now he's had to go back out on loan to see if he can rebuild his name. Do you think he'll be able to do so? I think uh, I was looking at that uh, transfer in particular and he mentioned about David Moyes uh, being one of the kind of key reasons uh, he moved. Um, so maybe the relationship with, with Moyes, obviously when he was at Man United, he thinks maybe he can get the best out of him. Definitely under Solskjaer, Lingard has, has been missing in action, hasn't really featured at all. Um, you look at that United team now in terms of the midfield, obviously Bruno Fernandes has been a fantastic signing. Midfield looks a lot more settled now than it probably did in previous years. Um, I think Lingard is is nearly like a Deli Ali type ca character, where you know really came up uh, quite quickly, um, got a lot of obviously uh, press about it, um, but has kind of struggled to kind of kick on from there. Same with Deli Ali, he didn't get his move to PSG. Um, Lingard, I think it's it's coming to that kind of period now where uh, if he doesn't really perform for West Ham you're maybe looking at him joining a, a, a team lower in the, in the Premier League to try and kick on from there. Um, I can't see him going to a, a Leicester or one of those kind of teams that is on the up if he doesn't kind of turn it around. And obviously, West Ham are having a great season. 
uh, which I don't think anyone, even probably their own fans, expected to the position they're probably in. So he's going to he's probably picked as best the club in terms of current form and where they are to go to to try and resurrect his career. So I, I think it's we'll see how he does for the rest of the season, and then it'll probably be a good indicator about where where he's going to go from there. Yeah, I think he's um, he's really got to get his head down. I mean, it's not as if he's a young player anymore. I think he's now 27, 28 years old. He's kind of coming into what should be his prime years. And he's really having to rebuild his career. He broke into the Manchester United team, broke into the England team, was a staple of the England team. Um, and now it's just a kind of, he's, he's been left in the shadows. One of the most interesting things about Jesse Lingard that I've seen, um, and it's not directly associated with him, it was someone on Twitter last year who had a bet that um, he would have zero shots on target and zero goals all season last year. Uh, and that was broken in the 93rd minute when he scored the last goal of Manchester United's um, season. I think the guy was on to win thousands through it. Um, <laughs> so that would have been heartbreaking. Um, but speaking of thousands, it, it really seems to be that a lot of the transfers this uh, window were done in the kind of lower, the lower regions of the, the finances. Ben Davies moved to, to Liverpool they thought he was coming to Celtic. They, they thought the pre-contract was agreed. And then Liverpool paid £500,000 up front to get that deal over the line. And Jurgen Klopp said it himself when he was asked about him. He says, given the current situation, if it was any other transfer window, if it was any other situation, they wouldn't be looking at Preston to make a signing. But they saw the ability of Davies. They saw the potential in them and decided to make the move. Do you think he'll be one that will surprise people and do well down south? It's it's a lot of pressure. It really is. Like the the guys looked decent for for Preston, um, and definitely as a Celtic fan, given our problems uh, in defence, you were thinking, right, this guy could be a, a contributor next season. Um, I think Liverpool the need is is probably great right now with Joel Matip and obviously Van Dijk, um, and obviously um, they uh, brought in uh, the guy from uh, was it? Uh, the German player uh, Ozak. Um, mm-hmm. for, for a lot from of money Schalke. as well yeah. yeah from Schalke um, so again like uh, bringing him on loan and maybe signing him full time um, I think it, it probably just shows that, that Liverpool are, are needing to kind of fill a few spaces in the team I think Davis himself it's a great opportunity for him I mean it, it's I think this is a, a microcosm of the, the current uh, pressures clubs are under they're too afraid to spend money as you said, um, you know, roughly in the Premier League, there was 70 million spent. Uh, last January, it was over 200 million. It's obvious because they don't know when fans are going to be back in the stadium. They don't have the assurity of match day revenue from people buying food, um, whatever in, in the stadium. Uh, and then as well, uh, season tickets when people are actually going to be back. So I think um, for a club the size of Liverpool, with, with the revenue they bring in, spending that money on Ben Davies and bringing in uh, Ozak on, on loan, it, it makes total sense. Uh, you you get to try before you buy with Ozak, and then with Davis, if it doesn't work out, you just loan him somewhere else. Maybe even loan him back to or loan him to Celtic, or even back to Preston if if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happening, um, especially when you see guys like Virgil Van Dijk, Joe Matip, uh, Joe Gomez coming back into the side. Um, you'd be surprised to see if he could make it through there. But I mean, it's a big opportunity for him, and I'm sure one that he'll take with both hands. And we'll have to see what comes of it as Liverpool go to defend their title this season struggling um, in recent weeks so they could be doing with a bit more cover at the back Taking a, staying in the Premiership um, Mesut Ozil making that move to Fenerbahce eventually 
I mean, this is a guy who was earning £350,000 to basically sit at home for a couple of months. He wasn't involved in the Arsenal 25-man squad. Um, it, it looks as if his career at Arsenal had been dead now for the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months. Um, and finally gets his move to Fenerbahce. One of the funny things about that move was um, Fenerbahce actually set up a scheme where fans could uh, tweet, or sorry, sorry, text a, a support message to Mesut as part of his welcome to Fenerbahce, and it cost roughly about £2. But that money was being used to pay for his wages. The, the club, from what I understand, are in complete financial ruin, but that is a really smart initiative to try and get the, the signing over the line to pay for Mesut's wages. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it, the, the value of the guy, obviously, probably in my opinion, in your opinion, is he actually going to bring much to Fenerbahce? It would have to be kind of a Lazarus type recovery of his career. Um, yeah. That type of initiative, very cool. Like, uh, you know, takes a lot of the strain off, off the club. Um, and obviously, you know, he, he built his career kind of there, um, if, if I remember correctly, um, from, from the start. That's where he kind of rose to prominence. Uh, he's a fan of the club himself. So there is kind of that kind of heritage there. So I can understand why the, the fans would do that. Um, I think if you look at Arsenal overall, uh, they had a clear out Mustafi gone as well. Um, real deadwood in, in that squad. And, uh, Arteta went through a very sticky period where it maybe looked again like he was going uh, towards the trapdoor. Um, things have obviously stabilised. They're going to bring in uh, Martin Odegaard, obviously, from uh, Real Madrid. That could be a very shrewd signing for, for the rest of the season. That guy looked a, a serious talent um, when he played for Real Sociedad. Um, I think overall, you, you look at the, the Ozil situation. I remember years ago, uh, Arsene Wenger kind of fought to keep him an Arsenal player, offer him mm-hmm. all this money. And it's just that type of thing in, in the climate that football now operates in. It's so money-driven. You could be stuck with, uh, think of Arteta going in there. He's stuck with a legacy player. He never signed, he never wanted. And those mm-hmm. wages are just draining out of his capacity to be able to buy other players or improve his squad. And I think that's what, what you see more and more now where uh, these type of players, they, their wages are such a drag on, on a club season on season that uh, think about how long it took uh, Arsenal to actually get rid of this guy. It's been rumbling on for about two or three seasons. And as you said, he's, he's contributed absolutely nothing to the team. If you look at his wages, you're talking nearly £17 million a year, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and he's made the drop down to uh, a more reasonable, so he says £60,000 a week at Fenerbahce. Um, I would definitely take that. If you take a look a bit closer to home, well, a bit closer to home for me, not so much for you. We're not going to talk about the MLS. Um, but, we take a look, <laughs> but we take a look at the, the, the movements here in Scotland. Um, the busiest club, Mother, will bring in eight players in this window. Uh, I think they've, they've had to do something. Graham Alexander coming in there to take over from, from Stephen Robinson. Uh, a lot of ins and outs, but they are dangerously close to being in a relegation battle this season. When you bring in a lot of players like that, it can take a bit of time for them to settle. Um, there's going to be games coming up thick and fast. I, t- I think I took a look at it last night. There's six games in the next two weeks. These players either have to hit the ground running or Motherwell will be in serious trouble. For sure. I think, um, as you said, like uh, it, it's all right bringing loads of players in the summer and trying to make them gel over the first part of the season. But from January kind of onwards, uh, with uh, again, you kind of staring at relegation or potential relegation. 
probably the the best managers, uh, you know, to, to kind of turn that situation around. You're looking at a Harry Redknapp. You're looking at a, a Sam Allardyce. They seem to have whatever is needed to kind of bring in bodies and just make a team work. Um, like obviously Motherwell have seen a couple of couple of the games this season with Celtic and they've looked quite poor. Um, it, it's going to be a huge job to kind of turn that ship around. Uh, it, it's great if you're bringing in players who can make a difference, but uh, such a large collection of players, getting them up to speed in terms of the system, uh, the current players, it, it, that's a massive challenge. You can understand why they did it because of how bad a situation they're in. But again, it's, it's like anything. There's no guarantees in this. Uh, you could have made this effort and come the end of the season, you're actually you're, you're going down to the next division. Yeah. And we are, we are live on Facebook, YouTube and Periscope. If you are watching along, leave us your comments. Who do you think were the biggest moves of the January transfer window? We're still going to concentrate on Scotland, um, but a point we brought up earlier was about Jesse Lingard. And Mr Briggs comes in here to say, it feels as though Jesse Lingard's been one of the future now for the last six years, but he's nearer 30 than he is 20. Spent too much time caring about Instagram likes throughout his career. Um, and, you know, that's one of the biggest criticisms you see of Jesse Lingard. Um, if it's not about the daft handshakes, then it's about his social media profile. Um, so, I mean, what can you say? Is it is it just that this is someone that was given far too much too soon and he just couldn't handle it? Or I think is it another wasted talent? I, I don't know what's happening there. I think all that Instagram stuff and all that, uh, as, as they would say, brand building uh, for uh, a professional football player, that's all fine when you're winning. Ronaldo can do it. He can, can get paid millions to do all the endorsements he has. Same with Messi. But when you're not winning or when you're not really kicking on, that's when the criticism comes and people think that you don't focus on your football. And that might be a perception and not the reality. But unfortunately, uh, you know, the fans don't know the in and ins and outs of a club for the most part. So the perception actually is the reality in, in most fans' eyes. And even you look at Deli Ali, he's, he's another player where, fair enough, Mourinho's gone in there uh, and he, he just doesn't seem to fancy him as a player. But even the, before Mourinho went in there, was Deli Ali really kicking on as a player? Obviously, Spurs got to the Champions League final, um, etc. But he had kind of stagnated to, to a large degree. And I think him and Lingard are, are quite similar in, in that respect. Uh, and again, Ali with his kind of celebrations, that type of stuff. You just leave yourself open to criticism with that. Uh, if people think you might be focusing on too much and the results aren't there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we take a look at some of the other comments coming in. Uh, Joseph McGonagall, I think Motherwell will be safe. Kilmarnock are in a similar situation. Uh, I saw that last night when Celtic played Kilmarnock. I thought they were they were struggling really badly there. They've just got rid of Alex Dyer as well. So it'll be interesting to see what the new manager can bring in. Taking a look at this comment from Sean McGlynn, this is why you should always take a look at your spelling before you send it in. Uh, Fraser Hornby, uh, which is Fraser Hornby, uh, to Aberdeen is a great signing. And in general, that is, I think that's one of the best signings of the Scottish transfer window. Uh, bringing in the young under-21 international, coming in from Reims in France. Um, David Slight, if you're watching, one of the regular contributors to this state of mind, he concentrates a lot on French football. But I think this boy's got a big, big future ahead of him. Um, and although Aberdeen get beat last night, I still think he could be one of the signings of the window. For sure. And uh, it, it seems to be a feature of Scottish football in the last couple of years that you have guys going abroad, which is great, uh, you know, to try and develop themselves. Um, I think Aberdeen also brought in uh, Canberry as well, I, I yeah. believe, on, on yeah. um, And again, like, obviously... Uh, 
with Hibbs, I thought he was he was a really decent player. So given the need that Aberdeen obviously has uh, in terms of strikers, I think they're they're good signings to try and make them kick on for for the rest of the season. Yeah, and uh, it could be another James Madison, someone that comes up to Aberdeen does really well, and then in a couple of years you see he's one of the key players in Leicester's title push. I, I really hope that uh, Hornby does well for Aberdeen in the sense that we've got the Euros coming up in the summer. Um, and I'd much rather see someone like that in the squad than someone like Ollie McBurney, who I think just doesn't have it to be a footballer at any sort of level. I don't think he's got any sort of natural ability. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh yeah, love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Terrible footballer. I, I, I've watched him a couple of times. The transfer fee that was paid for him, it just shows the craziness of the English game. You probably got a you could have got someone for a fraction of that cost on the continent who would have been a much better player technically. Um, he, he's a very poor player. Um, and I think you're right. If, if you know, uh, Hornby can kind of kick on for the last couple of months of the season, you never know. Uh, you look at even the performance of Sheffield United this season, they've, they've been very poor. Um, so I think, you know, McBurney, his place could be up for grabs if, if that doesn't turn around. Yeah, so uh, good luck to Fraser Horney um, for the rest of the season at Aberdeen. Uh, taking a look at um, some of the other signings, Hibbs bringing in Jackson Irvin and Chris Cadden, uh, some good moves there. The most interesting thing about that, I think, is uh, Jackson Irvin's Mo Sislak tattoo. Uh, oh, really? see if that... Yeah, he has a tattoo of Mo Sislak on his leg. That's so particular. Uh, <laughs> some, something to go and take a look at afterwards. And Rangers did well as well. Uh, if you take a look at who they brought in, Scott Wright, who was coming on a pre-contract anyway, he was swapped basically with Robbie McCrory. Um, I think Aberdeen maybe got the better of that deal. I think McCrory will go on to be a fantastic player. Um, bringing in Jack Simpson early from Bournemouth um, and the other player from Bournemouth who I really couldn't pronounce his surname, um, so I'm not even going to try and make an attempt. But they are planning for the future and it's something that a lot of teams across Scotland would be desperate to do, uh, given the current situation. Taking a look at Celtic as well, bringing in John Joe Kenny on loan to replace Jeremy Frimpong, who moved on for £11.5 million. It's, uh, that, that's a fantastic bit of business, I think, for Jeremy for sure. Frimpong. Yeah, um, I, a big I, profit I, I, on someone who's made very few appearances for the club. 
And I think that's maybe a platform for a, a lot of younger players in England who are stuck in their academy teams, can't make that step into the first team, can see that the route is through Scotland onto perhaps a Bundesliga, perhaps onto the Premier League. Um, and I think that's something that we should be trying to sell to these guys down south. For sure. I think uh, you, you look at the kind of key selling points for Celtic or Rangers. Uh, it's European football, which they won't get with a Fulham or any kind of basement dwellers uh, in the Premier League. Uh, and it's also winning winning, ga- winning games and winning titles. Um, and it, as well, the pressure at Rangers and Celtic, you have to win every game. So it really kind of prepares a player then to, to go to the next level. Um, you look at Dembele, uh, obviously going to Lyon, uh, even someone like um, Stuart Armstrong. You know, we have a, a production line of players that we either brought in uh, from other Scotch teams and developed them, or we took someone like Dembele for, for nothing, really. The potential was there, and he really excelled at Celtic, and now he's gone on to the European level, and now he's at Atletico Madrid. So, you know, there, there is a path there. I, I totally agree with you, with uh, Frimpong. Uh, I thought last year he he looked a breath of fresh air. He was he was a really great signing last year. Um, very like impactful going forward. Final ball obviously wasn't there. Um, defensively, uh, not exactly the soundest this season. He badly exposed with the overall kind of Celtic defence. But I, I think to get that fee for a guy who really has only had one good uh, season in football, particularly in in the Scottish league for for that amount. Um, that that's really good business. And if you look at uh, Leverkusen, um, they also signed uh, Demary Gray from Leicester, um, the winger, um, for about two million. Um, and I think he's he's a prospect again for the future. He came in there, I think, from uh, Birmingham a couple of years ago to Leicester. Didn't really kick on. And again, maybe Leverkusen are going that route, uh, similar to what uh, Dortmund have obviously gone with uh, Jaden Sancho. Um, to kind of bring these guys in, develop them, and then uh, sell them for for a much higher uh, transfer fee. No doubt about it. Frimpong has the the raw talent. It's it's basically working on his his, his kind of final ball. It, it's great beating four men, but if you can't actually pass the ball, you're just wasting everyone's time. Yeah, agreed. And Mister Briggs comes back in to say Scotland having their best run of form in years yet. McBurney's not scored a single goal in about sixteen or seventeen caps. It says a lot. I, I can't disagree with that. Just a final point on the transfers before we kind of wrap up this part of the show. Barca boy coming in saying, could we see a levelling out of the huge fees and wages across football due to the effects of COVID? I would say yes until fans are back in the grounds. Until then, until the, the kind of lifeblood of the game is back, until the, the guaranteed revenue stream comes back into the game, I think this is what we're going to see for a while. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think what you'll also find is some clubs, even when the fans come back, they will struggle initially because they will have massive debts to be serviced. So even you, you look at Barcelona, their debts are, are approaching one billion. Um, they were meant to sign um, Eric Garcia from Man City uh, on a free transfer. The guy said he would play for Barcelona for free for six months um, and they still couldn't afford to sign him, which is just incredible. So I, I think uh, the kind of key trends I probably uh, saw was definitely obviously spending was down because uh, clubs were were afraid to, to kind of spend money when it wasn't there. Obviously, loans were just through the roof. Um, but also another kind of trend was uh, a lot of players being released from contracts or freed from their contracts and signing with another club. So Sammy Kadira uh, going from Juventus to uh, Hertha Berlin. And mm-hmm. even uh, Yedlin, the, the Newcastle player, going to Galatasaray. And you'll probably see that kind of holding pattern. I think even in the summer, there probably will be, you know, certain clubs spending a fair 
bit of money. But I think, again, if there's that uncertainty with when our fans actually going to be in the stadium, I think still you'll see a lot of clubs kind of keeping their powder dry for when there's much more kind of assurity about the situation. One of the big things that you could see there as well was um, the Chinese league had been the place to go to earn the money. Everyone that was going over there, we're talking about Rafa Benitez earning £12 million a year as a manager. Stefan El Shirawi moved there from Roma to Shanghai Shenawa and then 18 months later returns back to Roma on a free transfer. It just shows that the uh, the money across the world of sport is really running dry at the moment. So I do think there will be a kind of reining in of these big transfer fees over the next 18 months to two years, I think. Totally. And I think uh, in the case of China, um, they're they're trying to institute new kind of rules around foreign players as well. Obviously, there was the initial kind of gold rush of Tevez being signed for nearly 400,000 uh, uh, wages a week. Um, these type of players, uh, even Hulk, um, they're they're trying to move that country away from that kind of model, um, and they're trying to obviously develop their their own players. And even uh, the the Chinese Premier has is is a big football fan, and he's kind of instituted a, a structural plan up to twenty fifty, where the plan is for China to be able to qualify for World Cups and even potentially uh, win some. So I think you're you're looking at uh, both uh, money not being there, and then even specific countries kind of altering how they look at kind of the big foreign signings. Um, I think even uh, the UK, as an example, with, with Brexit, uh, Celtic even, we, we can't go off now and sign a player who's under the age of 18 from a German mm-hmm. club who's a German national. That will have a huge impact. And that might be for, for the best for a club like Celtic, even for other clubs in the Premier League, where you're, you're forced to kind of focus on the best talent that you have nearly around the area or in the country. Yeah, and uh, just before we kind of wrap up this segment, um, I'm joined today by Dave Claxon, um, Irishman, uh, living in America. Tell me, who is the biggest winner of this January transfer window and who is the biggest loser? Loser, I think uh, there, there's no way uh, you can kind of dress it up any better. Uh, it's, it's Marseille. I mean, you have fans kind of riding uh, at the training ground. Uh, Olivier in Cham probably never thought he'd cause such a disaster at the club. Um, with uh, Villas Boas uh, getting sacked, I think in terms of of best, I really liked what Arsenal did. As I said, clearing out a lot of deadwood there. Ozil finally off kind of the wage packet, as you said, seventeen million a year. They could be spending that money on on you know some quality players to bring them in. I think uh, another club uh, that I would probably say Eintracht Frankfurt. They brought back uh, Luka Jovic, and mm-hmm. he's already in four games, scored three goals. Where at Real Madrid, he couldn't seem to really perform. Um, and I think uh, I think that could be a great signing for those guys. Um, and I think actually the, the final one, uh, Atletico Madrid, in a great position in, in the league table, obviously, bringing in Moussa Dembele for 1.5 million euros uh, on a loan for the rest of the season. If Suarez gets injured, he could be the guy that they rely on to take them uh, to that league title. So I think that's a great bit of business. I would say for me, looking at it closer to home, I think Aberdeen are probably one of the big success stories of this January transfer window, despite even losing um, Sam Cosgrove for £2 million. I think Hibs done well to hold on to their talents as well when you look at some of the bids that came in. Kevin Nisbet with a £3 million uh, move for Birmingham. Ryan Porteous apparently to Millwall as well, I believe. And I think Rangers did well as well, bringing in these talents for the future, planning for the future, looking ahead to next season. Uh, I would say Celtic's transfer window didn't go 
great bringing in players. Um, they definitely made the money on the players that moved out. So it's it's a difficult one. Down south, I have to agree. I think West Ham did well. I think bringing in Ben Rama and Jesse Lingard as they moved towards the top six. Arsenal clearing out their, their deadwood, although I don't think they will play in Europe next season. I think they're really struggling. You saw that last night with the, the defeat to Wolves. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a strange January transfer window and all I can say is I'm already looking forward to the summer to see what the knock-on effects will be. You see the players that were allegedly lined up for moves like Neymar signing an, a new four-year contract to PSG. So I wonder who the big move will be in the summer. Um, but just wrapping this section up, if you do have any comments on the January transfer window, leave them uh, on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. We'll take a look at them and we'll get back to you. A couple of people coming in saying that you really know your football, Dave, so you're going down really well <laughs> so far. This could be this could all change, though, because I'm going to ask you um, the same thing I ask all my guests when they come on to the Football Insomniac, and that is to name what would be their dream football dinner party. I think a dinner party is more of an American thing, isn't it? You, you have more dinner parties over there. Um, yeah. Definitely. I think uh, the, the culture uh, here, yeah, a bit more dinner parties. Where I think, uh, you know, the, the Irish and the, the Scottish and the kind of English way of doing things is down the pub or a lot of drinks involved. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a bit more of a dinner party vibe here. Uh, I think in Scotland we'd call it a gaff or an empty. Um, cool. When I was speaking to Daniel Lambert from the Bohemians uh, last week, he was just saying it's straight down the pub. Just straight down the pub. Um, yeah. So... The, the way this works, we have four people from the world of football, uh, dead or alive. Uh, you can bring them back to life for 24 hours to be part of your dinner party. Um, as I said, it's a bit like Cinderella. When the clock strikes 12, that's it. They're, they're back, they're away again. So first of all, we have to ask you, what will you be cooking? What is, what's your speciality? What's going to be on the table for them to snack on? I wasn't expecting this question. Uh, I think uh, I'd probably order in maybe a couple of pizzas, keep it easy. Like uh, I, I would definitely have the, the fridge stocked with loads of beer, I think. Uh, so I think that's all fine and, and all kind of spirits and stuff. But I think I'd, I'd pizza, I, I don't think I could make it. I could give it a try, but I, I think I'd be better off uh, kind of ordering it in, to be honest. And you're from Boston, so Boston pizza, some of the best pizza in the world from what I've been told. Yeah, for sure. The the delicacies, uh, so to speak, are here are uh, clam chowder, uh, which is actually quite nice, um, and a lot of kind of seafood. Yeah, uh, so it, it's very American, though. Like, uh, like I, I used to live in London for about six years, and that place is so cosmopolitan with the kind of food. So here, it's definitely a lot of cheeseburgers and kind of fries and stuff. <laughs> Anything that can be deep fried, it's a bit like Scotland. Ex- exactly. <laughs> Uh, so who is the first person to come to the Claxon household? Who's bringing the bottle of wine? I think uh, with with that in mind, I think it's uh, Diego Armando Maradona, undoubtedly. Um, I'm sure he's someone who, who probably gets picked a lot. But uh, for me, greatest footballer to ever do it. Um, his kind of CV speaks to that. The World Cup, obviously. Being Irish, what happened with the hand of God as well. you you got to love that. Um, and just a, a character, just an amazing character, an amazing life. Um, I, I recently watched the, the Maradona documentary and you see the early footage of him in Argentina, uh, even when he was a teenager and there, he was getting interviewed by TV crews. And it's, it's incredible. The, the guy's life is, is just amazing um, and just such a character, uh, even to have managed Argentina and just a fabulous, fabulous character. 
Uh, as you said, Maradona, he's probably picked by about 90% of people who come on the show. Um, and I feel as though I'm, I'm running out of terms to kind of explain how good Maradona is because I try and do a different one every, every time he gets picked. Um, but just having his presence in the room, I think would be incredible. Um, you know how sometimes you, you meet someone who's famous and you go to, to ask them a question and you, you just don't know the words to say. The fact that you've got him in the room for a couple hours I think just the stories you would get out of him would be absolutely incredible. Yeah, totally. I think uh, what a life, uh, both obviously going off the rails, but then what he did, you, you can't deny. Um, even the the kind of situation in Napoli, uh, like just a, he, he lived a, probably about two lives in, in one um, and you can definitely rely on him for, for some great stories. And who would be joining Diego at the table? Uh, this is a, an Irish-flavoured one, Eamon Dunphy. I'm not sure if you're aware of, of Eamon, yeah. Yep, so yep, yep. Uh, for, for everyone kind of watching, Eamon uh, is uh, a former professional footballer. He's, he's Irish. He actually played for Man United. Uh, he said he wasn't good enough to kind of lace up the boots of other Man United players when he joined. Uh, and he also played for Millwall. And he was a player, I think, roughly in the 70s. So in Ireland, he kind of built a career as kind of a, a great pundit, actually, um, on Irish TV, the state broadcaster, RTE. Um, kind of controversial views. Had a deep hatred of Cristiano Ronaldo for probably about five or six years. That was completely unjustified, but he just wouldn't see sense. And then Ronaldo's kind of dominance and brilliance, he, he just couldn't deny towards the end. Um, and he's, again, another great character, um, famous uh, for in, in Ireland in uh, the 1990 World Cup. Um, he hated the football Jack Charlton played um, and would always kind of rail against it on uh, Irish national TV. And he, during one of the games, uh, I think it was the nil all against Egypt, uh, he picked up a pen and he threw it across the studio. And again, just a great, just uh, nearly like the theatrics of TV uh, or of kind of punditry that you don't really see these days. It's a lot more kind of corporate. Eamon is, is definitely not corporate. Yeah, we, I was speaking with the Bohemians uh, Chief Operating Officer last week, Daniel Lambert, and he was talking about this sort of the punditry team at RTE, and he was speaking even just a couple of years ago when it was Eamon, it was Liam Brady, and it was guys like Graham Souness, and he says it's just like going down the pub and listening to your dad's pals talking about the football. Uh, and just you could sit and listen to them for hours and hours. And I think that the punditry in RTE in Overn Island is a level above anything you get in the UK. Um, and he's a sad miss now um, to the to the game. And uh, be interesting to to see what the lineup will be for the Euros this summer. Yeah, for sure. Um, Didi Hamman has actually been on RTE, and he's he's quite a good pundit. I, I like him. Um, Richard Sadlier, who used to play for Millwall and sadly had his career um, cut short by injury, um, he's actually a really really good pundit. Um, he actually had a kind of a background in psychology. He had a, a really tough kind of period when when his career was uh, cut short. Uh, he's been to kind of therapy and everything, and he's he's a great pundit. Um, so they just seem to constantly get these really good guys um, through on, on RT. I don't know if it's how they brief them to kind of address the audience, but I, in comparison, I have to say kind of the, the UK punditry, it's, it's pretty low level. Uh, Steve McManaman, and those type of guys, it's, it's very, very kind of low level stuff. Yeah, I'd love to see what the interview process is for RTE compared to like Sky Sports <laughs> over here. 
Um, when someone you get someone like Eamon Dunphy and then you compare them to someone like Chris. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's night and day. Yeah. Um, but if, you, if you're watching uh, Get Involved, just like Joseph McGonagall's done here, he said they would have Larson Steen, Jinky, and his dad and he would cook mince and potatoes, a proper Scottish staple. Really? Um, what, what goes into that now, apart from the mince and potatoes? It's just mince and potatoes. Oh, really? well, you, a, a bit of maybe onion, carrot through it. Depends how your mum used to cook it. That, that, wow. If your mum cooked it with onion and carrot, you cook it with onion and carrot. Gotcha. It's just passed through the generations. Uh, Sean McGlynn saying George Best, Jinky, Maradona, Henrik and Stefan Mahi. He's, he's added five. Uh, you're going to need to pick one to drop. Um <laughs> And he's, they're getting pie chips and beans. Have you ever experienced pie chips and beans? No, and I don't think they would be happy with that either, given their kind of <laughs> probably well-regimented diets. I don't know. I think George Best would have loved a bit of pie yeah. chips and beans. Uh, you need to see if you can get that over there. Got to um, check it out, yeah. <laughs> Barca boy and coming in again saying Dunphy loved the sesh as well. So um, yeah. he's, joining, he's joining Maradona at the table. There'll be a lot of alcohol consumed. But who yeah, will be joining yeah, yeah. both Dunphy and Maradona? So this is the, the quiet part of the table. So we have the wild men on, on kind of one side and then uh, Wim Janssen, actually. Um, I thought about this one. And Wim Janssen, uh, I believe he won the, the European Cup with Fire Nord. He was in that great team that obviously beat Celtic, um, as far as I can remember. Um, played with Cruyff. Um, and then obviously his managerial career, uh, he came from Japan to, to kind of manage Celtic. Um, and uh, just, just an incredible kind of character. Kind of soft-spoken, but kind of uh, that season with Celtic, um, I I actually went to a lot of the games. I was there for the St. Johnson game in the stadium, and what he did for for the club, obviously, I'll, I'll always be thankful for as as every Celtic fan will be. And um, the pressure on that season, if we had social media now that season, it would not have been a, a good kind of period of time. But uh, just a very interesting character, and a lot of respect for him even what he went through at Celtic and, and yeah, it just, I always respected him as a tactician, a fabulous career as well. And just, I, I always would have loved to have spoken to him both about his playing career and then what kind of happened at Celtic, the kind of ins and outs with Jack Brown and, and obviously Fergus McCann. Yeah, certainly an interesting character and he definitely had an eye for a player. You can see that when he brought in guys like Henrik Larson, not just the Celtic, but he'd done it several times throughout his career. Um, and certainly one of Europe's probably most underestimated coaches when you look back through that period of time. Um, but as you say, a softly spoken, quiet person. So that's the quiet end of the table started. Who completes the quartet? It is uh, John Mark Bosman. And again, just thinking about kind of characters who changed the face of football. And it, he probably never realised how big an influence he would have on football overall. He's changed the face of football, this guy. 
um, just through a legal case to to try and get kind of free agency for himself. Um, and I, I haven't looked into it in detail, but I remember hearing stuff that he kind of struggled uh, after everything with, with the Bosman ruling came came into effect. He didn't really make any money out of it, obviously. And, and it, in one way, that, that's tough. But in another way, the legacy of what he gave to footballers, that kind of freedom of movement, is, is an amazing thing. Uh, previously, it was the clubs who had the power over the players. It's swung the other way. And we can talk about money in the game and there's no loyalty anymore and that type of thing. I would rather the players had the freedom to do what they wanted than the clubs because I don't think that would be a good thing. Yeah. And as you say, his legacy probably is more about the way that he's changed the legality of football as opposed to his career. Um, and he's exactly. one that will be very few like that. Uh, as you say, he did, he did struggle after his move. I think he was out of football for a couple of years whilst this all went through the courts. Um, but yeah, just to find out what that period of time was like, I think would be incredible. Um, and sure. the, the story, I don't even know if the story's in a book. Um, I think it would be a great read if that was the case. Yeah, definitely. And even how he feels about that legacy, you know, his impact is worldwide. It's, it's, it's when something like that happens, it's never going to go back to the way it was before. So he has changed the face of football forever, which is an amazing thing to kind of have as your legacy. Definitely. So at the Claxton dinner table with some Boston pizzas coming in um, and plenty of beer, I take it will be Bud Lights and everything else that will be in there? Yeah, beer situation here is uh, Pabst, uh, Miller. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's not great now. Again, coming from London where, <laughs> and, you know, the UK and Ireland, you've got a great selection. Pints of Guinness here, mm, not great either. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of kind of watered down uh, beer, but you you got to make do. Like. <laughs> so joining you at the table would be Diego Maradona, Eamon Dunphy, Wim Janssen and Jean-Marc Bosman. That's a, a really interesting table and I'm sure that would be a fantastic night. Just looking at some of the comments coming through, uh, Harry Houdini here saying that uh, George certainly loved a bit of pie. Um, take of that what you will. Uh, Mr. Mack coming in saying, Jinky McGrory, Steen Maley and John Thompson. I told you guys it's four, stop picking five. That's not allowed. <laughs> Otherwise you're not at the table. Um, and Joseph McGonagall coming in saying Bosman a good shout would love to hear his story definitely I think if there's not a book already out there then there certainly should be sure um, so moving on to the topic which you see on the screen in front of you it is the discussion about should betting sponsorship be banned in football and it's probably our main topic today um, this all comes out of a UK government uh, movement which started in December last year looking at the potential of banning betting sponsorship on football jerseys. Uh, apparently, according to sources at the Daily Telegraph, it is highly likely that this will be banned by autumn this year and it could affect £110 million of revenue sponsorship um, from the English Championship and Premier League. There was also a study that came out that showed that if you watch a Match of the Day on a Saturday night, 78 to 83% of the time, you are seeing a betting sponsor at some point, whether it be on billboards, on shirt jerseys. It is a lot to, uh, to do. We take a look at who it would affect. Eight Premier League sides um, are currently have their shirt sponsor, which are betting companies, teams like Newcastle, Wolves, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, all taking home at least £6 million a year from that. 
two thirds of championship sides have got um, sponsors which are betting companies and only three Premier League teams have no links to gambling sponsorship whether that be through shirt sponsors, sleeve sponsors, betting sponsors um, so you can see it has a massive impact on the game. Now Dave you've got a fantastic insight to this um, from the other side of the, the field what impact could this have on clubs' finances um, if this were to go ahead? I think uh, like gambling sponsors, they pay a premium for those kind of shirts. They can generally pay more than other sponsors for the most part. Um, I think if if you look at the situation, it's quite similar to, and this is how I feel about it, um, basically uh, cigarette sponsorship on Formula One cars. It's become nearly a, a social imperative for clubs to and the wider kind of government to be seen to be combating this. And the reason is, if, if you look at kind of the uh, betting uh, sponsorship, particularly of jerseys, those jerseys are in FIFA, a video game that's played primarily by young people uh, who might be under the age of 18. Uh, those jerseys are also in Panini sticker books. Um, and as you said, they're also on Match of the Day. And football obviously is for everyone, but obviously a lot of young people love the game. And to see that volume of nearly acceptance of something that uh, as an adult, you, you have to be able to manage yourself. It's, it's an adult choice to gamble. Um, it's very much like the, the cigarette sponsorship uh, of Formula One, where it's, it's nearly just in your face 24-7. And I don't think anyone would say it, it will drive you to gamble. Uh, I think it's more that it's nearly just becomes accepted that it's there. And it is that a good thing, particularly with, you know, young viewers of, of uh, football games or even playing FIFA. Um, if you look at the kind of wider context of what the government has tried to do, uh, at the start of this season, they instituted a, a watershed of 9 p.m. And no betting uh, adverts could be aired during a football game. And already there was breaches of that one uh, in Scotland uh, and one, I think, for a Premier League game with, with Sky TV. Um, and I think that's where it's heading. There will be all these uh, restrictions put in place. And I think it's just more the, the social imperative that uh, governments feel and clubs. It will be seen as just a, a bad thing. Like you, you might be taking this money and it's good for the clubs, obviously, in terms of revenue. But from a, a, a kind of societal impact, it's probably not a positive thing to have these this betting or this betting sponsorship plastered over everything, um, you don't know the effects of it, um, and I think it'll just come to a crunch where it'll just be instituted where these clubs will not have the flexibility um, to put these uh, sponsors on their jerseys. And if you look at uh, what some of the kind of more forward-thinking people are are doing, uh, even outside of football itself, Barry Hearn, who uh, obviously uh, with Eddie Hearn run, runs Matchroom um, Sports, mm-hmm. boxing, snooker, etc. Yesterday, uh, there was an interview with him where uh, he spoke about the kind of first sponsor that is non-betting related. Uh, I think it's Kazoo, which sponsors Everton, the Everton uh, shirt. And he said it's a specific move away from gambling sponsorship by Matrim. They want to diversify their portfolio. They don't want to be just reliant on uh, gambling companies. I think that's probably an acknowledgement of someone in the know within the industry to say, Changes are coming here. We better get our ducks in a row before this happens. So say for a club like Celtic or any of the, the eight Premier League clubs with these kind of uh, betting companies on their shirts, they, they better start looking out for newer uh, sponsors for the shirt because I, I think there's going to come a crunch where, where they won't have that option to actually put them on the shirt uh, in future. 
Yeah, and you take a look at it. You mentioned Celtic in particular there. In 2018, they signed a seven-year deal with Daffabet, um, a, a Chinese betting company, um, for around £3 million a year. They also have sponsorships with Mr Green's Poker, I believe it is, and they do Ladbrokes inside the stadium. But that takes in about 5% of Celtic's revenue each year. It's the same with Rangers with their um, their deal with 32 Red. Um, they also have a deal with Ladbrokes, I believe, inside the stadium, bringing in roughly about 5% of their overall revenue. That's a lot of money for a club to be losing, especially going through what they're going through. In your opinion, do you think there's companies there that are ready to, to step in to, to offer their services for sponsorship when this comes through? Um, could this be the last season that we see 32 Red and Daffabet across the, the jerseys of Celtic and Rangers? And then who would come in to replace that? I think um, if if there's anything I know about uh, from my career, uh, definitely in terms of legislation, it, it takes a while to come through. I think next season it probably won't be in place um, with the kind of review meant to close in, in March. Um, I think it'll take probably a bit longer. It might be a season or two, but undoubtedly it's coming. I've, I've no doubt about it. Um, and I think what will happen is uh, you will definitely have uh, sponsors coming in to kind of take the the spot of uh, Daffabet um, and and other kind of uh, gambling companies because uh, being on the front of a football jersey uh, can be a, a really great thing. Um, but it, as well, actually, within that, you look at the rise of uh, vintage football jerseys. How many C.R. Smith uh, kind of uh, people do you see mm-hmm. walking around now? So it's not like now, like in previous years, you might have said, oh, you know, sponsorship. It's it's done after a couple of years. But if you can be a part of an iconic jersey, it lives forever, really. Um, so that that's one kind of cool thing that maybe as a sponsor you can think of. But I, I think there will definitely be companies to, to replace the, the gambling companies. The problem will be the money probably won't be there. I think Celtic will probably get less money just because the, like, in terms of overall uh, betting uh, gam- or gambling, uh, it, it's a huge, uh, kind of hugely valuable industry. A lot of money flowing in and out. You look at even the United States, for example, they're opening up gambling for the first time ever across the States. It is a gold mine in terms of, you know, your, your audience of over 300 million people. So there's a reason why a lot of these companies have this money. As you said, Daffabet in China, the size of China as a market, there's money there. They can easily afford that. Mm-hmm. The problem will be what comes when these guys can't um, sponsor uh, jerseys. You will get people to fill that space but probably the money won't be there. We'll be looking at a, a decline. And I think it's even outside of the, the overall uh, gambling sponsorship issue with COVID, with the overall situation, even in terms of broadcast rights, you're probably looking at either things being at the same level that they were previously or even a, a, a small decline just because the money won't be there uh, from mm-hmm. sponsors and won't be there from broadcasters. And you take a look at it as well. It's not just jersey sponsorship. Um, you take a look at some of the big leagues and the big trophies here in the UK. You've got Skybet, who are the main title sponsor of the English Football League. William Hill, who has sponsored the Scottish Cup now for quite a few years. I couldn't actually remember the last time it wasn't. It's known as the Red Cup. So when you take a look at it, um, does this then go beyond just the the shirt sponsorship that we have to then look at um, the, the trophies that are being sponsored now? Um, and surely, I mean, that's going to take as much PR work 
to replace those sponsorships for the leagues and for um, the, the, the sort of um, the federations is what it would be for the football clubs. For sure. Um, I think uh, if, if you look at the news recently, the FAI, so the, the Irish um, kind of uh, football association, um, they came out and said that they would not have a, a gambling um, partner as, as a sponsor. Um, and this is uh, due to a controversy around Sports Pesa, which used to sponsor Everton's jersey. Yes. Uh, I believe it's a Kenyan company and there's a lot of kind of yep. issues around that company. Um, and uh, we we had an old CEO, John Delaney. There was loads of controversy about him. But basically, they, they signed the deal with Sports Pesa. Um, a new regime came in at the FEI and they, they've now committed to to not having these type of sponsors. And I think you'll see more organizations do that um, because, again, the, the societal imperative to do that is so great now. Um, you just you can't justify it with young people consuming media or you know seeing wall-to-wall gambling uh, adverts. It's just not really acceptable, and it won't be acceptable moving forward. I think the, the associations, they generally always kind of struggle for, for quality sponsorship, um, and I, I think that will be a, a real crunch uh, for associations moving forward. Um, but I think even in Scotland, I think uh, the the, uh, the women's um, uh, game in Scotland actually um, also said that they would not uh, have any kind of gambling sponsors as well previously. So I think, uh, and that's actually an interesting point about the women's game, uh, which is maybe where revenue could come in future for uh, football clubs. Um, where you have a different sponsor for uh, the women's team versus the men's team. And that's, in the last couple of years, you've seen that increasing. Obviously, Celtic, they have a different sponsor on the women's team. Um, and Liverpool kind of kicked that off a couple of years ago with Avon. And again, if you're kind of being as resourceful as possible, maybe that's the way you, you have a, a, a kind of sponsorship for the, the men's team, but then you have a sponsorship for the female uh, team as well. So again, you're trying to maximize your, your potential revenue. Uh, the question should be asked as well, um, because we spoke about um, kind of cigarette companies. They were phased out quite a few years ago. They look as if this is now the move to phase out the betting sponsorship. But then you take a look at the SPFL, who have just signed a, a recent deal for a, a sort of title sponsor across the whole of the divisions to be Glenn's Vodka. So is it the, the case that if we're going to ban these betting companies, if we've already banned the cigarette companies, should alcohol sponsorship be allowed as well? That's a really tricky one. That is a really tricky one because if even look at Scotland, I'm, I'm aware of kind of the, the minimum pricing kind of legislation you guys have. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very uh, kind of obviously sensitive issue. Um, the drinks lobby is extremely powerful uh, is what I would say. And it's not to say that the gambling lobby isn't. The drinks lobby has a heritage as well. It's been sponsoring football teams for decades been sponsoring competitions for decades. I think that one would be much harder to shift. Um, and I'm not really sure why, because obviously alcohol damaging for your health, uh, gambling damaging for mental health and your finances and, and a whole host of issues. It can be argued that it's as damaging uh, kind of alcohol sponsorship. I think we're not there yet. I, I really don't believe we're, we're not there yet uh, in terms of shifting alcohol sponsorship. I think that's a much larger piece um, that goes into loads of different issues. I think what you might see actually in, in talking about future trends, you could see, uh, particularly in the US with the legalization of stuff like marijuana, you could see 
teams being sponsored by uh, kind of marijuana uh, brands moving forward. And again, it's just as society changes, then uh, sponsorship will react to that and it'll then impact on, on sport. I think the, the drinks piece is, is, much, is much larger. I think it's a much bigger lobby to kind of shift. And I, I, I can't see that happening for, for a large or for a long kind of period of time. But I get your point. I, I don't disagree with it at all. I think it's completely valid. And again, if, if you look at the volume of adverts for alcohol during a football game, it's, it's through the roof as well. Yeah. Just on that point you made on the kind of legalisation of cannabis um, in America, that's already happened in Scotland. You see Hamilton, I think, are sponsored by a CBD oil company. Oh, really? So, oh, cool. It's starting, to make, it's starting to make its way across here as well. CBD um, is uh, sure it's the legal stuff, though. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We'll get, I think that might change over the years. There's been a lot of points coming in on this. Um, Ezra coming in here saying, if they ban cigarette sponsorship and advertising, they should ban betting and alcohol sponsorship and advertising. Just going back to the point that we're making... Joseph McGonagall coming in saying too much money involved, lads, money talks. I think that's part of the point you made on the alcohol sponsorship there as well. Um, and just on the point you made on FIFA, the FIFA game series has a bigger issue than betting company logos on the shirts and games. The ultimate team game mode is essentially gambling with the loot boxes and microtransactions. Sure. And I believe, has that not been banned in some companies as, in, in some countries as well now? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, and I'd, I'd agree with that point 100%. I think that's a, a quite a dangerous thing. Um, and I, I think it's all these microtransactions um, that, that are the problem where it, it's, it is in, in effect like gambling and uh, you're, you're nearly socialising young people to how gambling works with these games. And it has been banned in, in some uh, countries. I believe in Ireland, actually, they're, they're taking a stand uh, against it uh, as well. And I think you'll, you'll see increasing kind of clampdowns on these tactics to nearly institute not obvious gambling, obviously like a Paddy Power type uh, account or anything, but these type of tactics to get uh, young people or, or gamers involved. I, I completely agree. Um, those loot boxes, uh, it, it is a form of, of kind of uh, socializing young people to, to gamble. So I, I think that's totally the, the right kind of move to, uh, to kind of ban them. Cormac Ryan joins us again this week and he's saying uh, he's joining the show late. That's all right, Cormac. You can go back and watch this on YouTube. We're also out now um, on audio format as well. We're on Spotify, iTunes, all the big platforms. But he's saying it would be great to see the club making the clubs making an ethical decision regarding uh, gambling sponsorship without having to be forced. Now, there's, it goes back to the point you make about how long this is going to take for the legislation to go through because, as you said, there's every chance that this may take two or three years before we actually see the impact of it. But once it comes into to effect, the teams that make the first move, I think, will be the teams that look to set the example going forward. And you're hoping for your bigger teams across the UK, your Manchester United, your Liverpools, your Celtics and your Rangers to sort of set the example there, aren't you? Yeah, totally. I think um, it's it's like anything, until people are kind of forced to do something, for the most part, the majority won't do it. Um, and I think with this, there will be certain clubs that have a, a brand, uh, say, uh, you know, a, a Wrexham or, or these type of clubs that have a certain kind of leaning that they wouldn't go down that route. For, for some of those clubs that are reliant on the revenue, I can't see them making that move uh, at all just because of the, the money issue. But I think there will be some of those kind of first adopters 
And that's something you can hang your hat on uh, as, a, as a club. It's something to be uh, very proud of. Um, for sure, you, you think of Barcelona uh, years ago with UNICEF. That was a really cool thing that they did to pay UNICEF to have them on their jerseys for a couple of seasons. That was an amazing thing. Now, obviously, that's changed now, given their own financial situation. But stuff like that, people remember. So, for sure, I, I totally agree. So, just to kind of close out this segment, do you think this will happen? And when will it really kick in? I think it'll happen. I, I, there's too much steam behind us. Um, it's too obvious the amount of ads actually being served to people. It's, it's everywhere. Jerseys, video games, as, as I said. Um, I think it'll take about two to three years, roughly, uh, just in terms of legislation. The back and forth, there's a full consultation process, which is happening now. So uh, sponsors will be submitting uh, consultations. That needs to be assessed. And again, thinking about how government works, it's not exactly top of the agenda in terms of legislative needs in, in the UK, particularly with COVID and, and other issues. So I, I think this one will be a bit of a slow burn, but I, I think it will definitely happen in the next two to three years. Um, and I think what will happen in the UK will probably ripple across other uh, countries in, in Europe as well. And it's one we'll have to keep a close eye on, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Um, when it actually comes in here on the Football Insomniac. A big thank you to everyone who's joined us so far on Facebook, on YouTube and on Periscope. If you are watching on YouTube, give us a like, give us a subscribe. The channel's fast approaching 9,000 subscribers, which is an incredible growth over the last 12 months. Uh, and speaking about incredible growth, Dave, will go on and speak about your own blog, The Business of Sport. You've been doing that now for the last four years. Has that seen a, a, a fair bit of growth over that? Period of time as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, the 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 growth has been really unexpected. Um, I I didn't have really a clue what I was doing. To to be totally honest, um, basically uh, my own kind of background. I, I did journalism uh, in terms of uh, my my degree. Um, unfortunately, when I graduated, um, Ireland was going through kind of probably the worst recession we'd we'd ever had in two thousand and eight. Um, and basically, I was kind of freelance and it was kind of a tough period of time and went back to college and kind of kicked on and moved into um, public relations from there. And the thing about kind of public relations is you're writing stuff for your clients. And I kind of miss writing stuff for myself or stuff that I was interested in. And I just mm -hmm. decided to kind of kick off the, the blog from there about stuff that I actually am interested in. And I think if, if you look, you go back to the early posts on the site, it's probably a bit kind of uh, not exactly top quality, but as time has gone on, I've kind of, I've gotten a bit better. So it's, it's a, a mix of things. It's analysis. So stuff like stuff that I would be interested in, like uh, Shergar, the, the racing horse gone missing a lot of stuff about the XFL, which is the kind of the league now that uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson has invested in and uh, for American football um, and a lot of kind of industry interviews. So a lot of people have kindly given me their time, um, I uh, a couple of months ago interviewed Jason Bell, who was an ex NFL player, played for the New York Giants, um, and I spoke to him about kind of career after sport, which is something I'm very interested in, in how athletes kind of transition from the high of being a, a superstar, earning loads of money, and then what it's like when they're you know back in the real world, and kind of within when when I started it, I also started writing uh, part time for uh, a website called Sports Techie. And that focused on kind of, as, as they say, the intersection between sports and technology and business. And with the blog and then Sports Techie, 
I kind of built my own network within the industry, built my own understanding. And it's, it's just kind of gone on from there. It's, it's been really cool. Like I'm juggling a, a full-time role, so I definitely don't get as much time as I would like to write. So there's a couple of weeks there where I'm not posting stuff. But for the most part, it's, it's something I'm really happy I, I did. It was just a motivation that kind of built in me. And I said, why not go for it? And, and here we are. And obviously, we've, we've said before, um, you are living in Boston but you're a, a Dublin boy. So how did the move to America come, come about? It was totally unplanned, as most things are uh, in my life. Um, basically, I'd, I'd lived in London for six years, moved over from Dublin um, for a job opportunity. Had a great life in London. It's, it's a great place. Um, and basically, my, my wife had a fantastic opportunity here. And we, we came over Um and we moved over just before COVID happened. So we moved over the last week of February. And two weeks later, the place was shut down. Uh, we barely got into, you know, a flat to rent. Um, the St. Patrick's Day parade was cancelled, which I was really looking forward to. Uh, it, it was it was really, it was like you were living in a, a different universe. It's one of the, like, I moved from uh, Dublin to, to London that was fine. You know, everything was fine. So I'd been, been through that, you know, scenario before moving over here. I don't think you realize until you actually live here, how different it is. And the, the style of life, it's just, it's different. Um, and mix that with the COVID situation. It was definitely a, a trial by fire, fire, but uh, we're, we're still here. It's, it's a great city. Uh, if anyone's ever thinking of coming, I, I would definitely recommend it. It's a, it's a fabulous city. And how has it been? Obviously, um, you, you're a Celtic fan. You've been a Celtic fan all your life. How has it been trying to follow uh, Scottish football from the other side of the globe? It's it's a bit interesting, I have to say. That the time zone, obviously, we're five hours ahead. Um, so say yesterday's game, I was working. So I was just checking in on the game. I couldn't really watch it uh, completely. So what I, what I now do is I'll, I'll re-watch the game probably a day afterwards in the evening because uh, I want to see how we performed. I have to admit, in the last couple of performances, there might have been a bit of fast-forwarding just because not, not much was <laughs> happening on the pitch. Um, but, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Like I, I have to say, um, it's so strange being in a place where football, or as they would say, soccer, is not the number one sport. You, mm-hmm. you turn on ESPN radio, you go on to any of the websites here. It's American football, it's uh, basketball, it's baseball, NHL. And that's a really strange situation to kind of... To be in, um, and even uh, they, they show a Premier League game uh, on over the air TV um, here on NBC Sports every Saturday, and that starts at twelve, and it's the evening game back in the UK. So you're kind of like, oh wow, this is like it's really it's just a strange situation. I have uh, Celtic TV, and I have to say it's it's only I think one hundred and thirty dollars, and I get to watch kind of all all the kind of league games, and that's been a godsend. It's it's been brilliant apart from obviously uh, the fare that's been served up uh, by the team. But uh, it, it's definitely, it, it's a really unique place to be because uh, you look at the, the hierarchy of leagues here, the MLS, even in, in terms of Boston, they have the revolution here. Um, even on the news, uh, the, the kind of sports section on the news, on TV, they would barely get a mention. Even if they play, it's, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds of, you know, the, the Revs lost the game, the Revs won a game. It's it's not really a thing, but where I think in the next couple, you know, the next twenty years or you know twenty five years, things are going to really change here. Um, 
we have a, a sports pitch right beside where we live and it's it's for a high school they have a running track they have a american football pitch it also doubles up as a soccer pitch so that to me says there's obviously someone playing this game i've seen young kids out there playing it uh, even during covid um and that says to me that maybe the future uh, might be a, a bit more football or soccer orientated going forward which would be brilliant definitely and i think the the World Cup is coming to the US, Mexico and Canada um, yeah. in the not-too-distant future. So I think we all see the, the revolution of that coming along as well. If you look at, if you look back at the business of sport, what is the, the goal for this year? What is your aim for the, the blog? It's definitely, I, I think uh, the last two years, the quality has definitely improved. Um, and it, that's shown by the traffic I'm getting through on, on certain posts. The XFL posts have gone through the roof. It's Sometimes uh, you start out on a post and you think it's going to be great. You post it, you share it on social, and it just doesn't take off. And you think that was a really great piece of content. Uh, stuff like the XFL has just completely changed my expectation uh, because of the, uh, the interest in it. I think uh, for me, uh, the last two years, the quality of uh, people I'm interviewing has definitely increased. And Jason Bell, uh, various kind of people within the industry. And it's definitely... You know, it's a hobby. It's something I do on the side. Um, I really enjoy writing. Um, I don't post as much as I want to, but the overall goal is just to keep it going uh, for as long as I possibly can to build my own brand um, through that. Um, and just, you know, I'm never going to put in a paywall. I'm not getting enough traffic for that. <laughs> but if people like it, I'm, I'm happy enough with it. If people give it a follow, I'm happy enough with it. And um, even in terms of the, the opportunities, it's, it's unlocked for me within sports business opportunity the contacts i've made uh, it's it's been brilliant it's been absolutely fantastic and just as we kind of wrap up today's podcast um we've just gone slightly over time i know that the guys are getting set up for the celtic state of mind bulletin coming out at half 12 i just want to bring up this email uh, this message coming in from ben 515 it says that bt done a film about the bosman ruling um so if anyone is interested in that, and I think I will, I'll definitely give that a watch. Sure. I don't know if you've, definitely. you've seen it, Dave, no? No, I'll, I'll have to uh, somehow get my hands on that. Yeah, definitely. I'll be giving that a watch. Uh, but thank you to everyone who has joined us today. And a big thank you to Dave. He's got up very early to join us no uh, from Boston. Tell everyone that is watching, Dave, where they'll be able to find you and your blog after this podcast. For sure. So it's uh, businessofsport.net. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, dclax67. Um, so definitely get in touch. Let me know what you think. Uh, I'm, I'm not precious about uh, the stuff I put up there. If you don't think it's any good, let me know. And I'm hoping that we'll see some more of you on A State of Mind. I think there's sure. definitely a lot of discussion to be had um, regarding uh, the business side of the game. Um, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll reach out to you in the future for, sure. for that. I'd love to be back. But Thanks, Mel, for, for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure, and it's been a pleasure to everyone else joining us. We are, as I said, now on the audio formats as well. We'll be on Spotify, we'll be on iTunes. Um, it's under the state of the Celtic State of Mind feed at the moment, um, so give that one a listen. But until next week, thank you to Dave, thank you to everyone who's joining us, um, and we will see you all next week.
Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.